amazing has this revival been? And the Holy Spirit has just been moving in such a great way this week, and um, I'm so thankful that just you being here right now is an answer to prayer. Um, the whole revival week has just been an answer to prayer. Uh, when the details of this revival were starting to come together a few months ago, and um, I, I honestly, and I think I shared this last night, but I prayed that God would just shine his light in the darkness of whoever showed up at any point in the revival, that his light would shine in the darkness that each individual was facing. And I prayed that no matter who I ask to come and preach at this revival, that the only ones that God intended to be here would be the ones that would say yes. And so there was a lot of pastors that told me no. Not because they don't like me or because they don't like the church. It's because they had a vacation planned or they had this family event or that family event. And it all just seemed to work out together to where the ones that actually came were the ones who were supposed to be here. And uh, I remember, because I, I did not plan for myself to speak at this. I had no intention of, of being one of the speakers. I, I really wanted you to be able to hear someone else than who you hear every single Sunday for the ones who go to this church. And so I, I asked so many pastors and so many were like, no, Friday night, I can't do it Friday night. I can't do it Friday night. And I remember talking to uh, Chloe's dad, my father-in-law. I'm like, hey, I... Your name just kind of popped into my head, and that's just kind of how I'm, uh, how I'm doing this now, because the ones that I thought were going to be good for this, they can't make it. I said, so I've just been praying, and your name came to mind, so are you able to do it on Friday? And he said, no, I, I can't do it on Friday. And I was like, well, that's really disappointing. <laughs> um, so then in that moment, I'm like, well, God, who do, you, who do you even want? Like, I'm running out of people that I actually know and trust to come and speak the word. And so he, he told me, and he said, maybe God's just trying to say that he wants you to speak on Friday. And so I, I politely told him, well, you know, maybe that, that might be what God wants. When I hung up, I was like, that's not what he wants. <laughs> he doesn't want me to speak. I, like, I, I preach every Sunday. Like. And so here I am, because I truly started feeling like I needed to be here to close it out. And that opened the door for, for Kevin to actually be able to speak here on Monday because one of those pastors that told me yes had a family thing that came up and said, actually, I, I hate to do this, but I have to pull out. And then instantly my mind came to Kevin again, and I was like, hey, listen, I know you can't do it on Friday, but I know you don't work on Monday. He said, well, I can't argue with that. So he was here, and he did uh, such a great job. But I truly believe that each one who came and spoke was here for a purpose. They all gave different messages, and uh, it's not that I planned it that way. Um, I definitely did not. Uh, a lot of the revival stuff, it just kind of comes together, and God uh, plants messages in each of the pastors' and, and speakers' hearts for a purpose. And I, I know there's some pastors that when they plan revivals, like they plan what 
uh, scripture they want each pastor to do, and, and it builds on each other, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just not good at that. And so I, I, I have this deal with God that whoever I ask, I will give them the vaguest of statements to go and run with. Whatever the overlying vision of it, which this, uh, this one, it was uh, light in the dark. So that's really all I told the pastors here is that the theme is light in the dark. This is kind of the theme verse. There you go. Go, be free. And one of my professors said, what you call vagueness, I call freedom, which I didn't like it in that class. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's been awesome to see how God just works out all of these fine details and I've prayed for each and every one, every, every one of you. I want you to be able to encounter God in such a way that you've never seen or experienced or it's been a long time since you've experienced it in this way. I want to give you hope that light does shine in the darkness and it's not because of the kind things that people do when things start to go bad, but it's because God is kind to us. It's not because of the generosity that we see when things start to get bad in the world. There are people that rise up and are generous, but it's not because of that that we have hope. It's because God is generous to us. It's not even because of the loving actions that you see when communities come together to serve and to help the people who are broken in their community. Even though those things are great, that is not our hope. Our hope is because God is love. God is our hope and our light in this dark world. So are you guys awake with me? I know it's dark in here. It's really good time for a nap. And how many of you, you woke up today? Right? I, I woke up today. If you didn't, I worry about how you got here. Someone must have brought you, but if you woke up today, if you're honest in the place, how many of you, when you got up, when you woke up, you wanted to go right back to sleep, right? That was me. So I, I typically, in my morning routine, I get up at around 5 a.m. You can ask Chloe. It, it annoys her to death. But I, I have alarms that are set 10 minutes apart from each other. So if I don't get up right at 5 o'clock, then there's an alarm waking me up at 5.10 and then 5.20, all the way up until 6. If I'm not up by 6, I'm not getting up. So <laughs> that's kind of how I've made my system. And so every 10 minutes, Chloe wakes up and then wakes me up to turn off the alarm. Right? And, and uh, this morning uh, and kind of this past week, it's been a little crazy with revival and everything and so I've been kind of breaking my routine. It, it started off on Sunday. I got up at 5, and, and everything was, was fine. And I did my morning routine. I came to church. I preached the next day. Uh, it was more like 5.10, 5.15, and it's just gradually become to where today I got up at like 6.45. Right? Slept through all of my alarms, put snooze on all of them. And this morning, I did not want to get up. Right? Even after sleeping through all my alarms and really just sleeping in, for an hour and 45 minutes past when I normally get up, I didn't want to wake up. I, I didn't want to get up and start moving, but I knew that I had to because I had things I needed to do. And I think it's amazing. Maybe it's just me, but I think it's amazing that the longer that I nap or the longer that I sleep, the more I just want to sleep, the more I just don't want to do anything else. 
Like, for instance, uh, when I was about this high, about this tall, me and my sister, we'd go to Jackie's all the time. Uh, over the summer especially, we'd go and we'd go for movie nights. And during these movie nights, all we would do was just watch movies. That was the goal. That was all we did. Uh, I mean, we would fix her TV, but uh, all we would do is watch movies. And while we were watching movies, we would have popcorn. We'd have uh, way too much sugar. Um, there was a time where I was really into green tea, and I drank an entire gallon of green tea in one night, in one sitting, and Jackie did nothing about it. And it was amazing, right? But it, we would always fall asleep around like 12 o'clock, like midnight, maybe 1 a.m. if I lasted that long. Everyone except for Jessica would wake up. And Jessica just can't fall asleep when she's watching a TV. And so when she would look around after the movie was over, all of us had fallen asleep in the first five minutes. She finished the whole like two-hour episode or two-hour movie of Star Wars or something. And, and she would go and she'd turn off all of the the TVs and stuff, and we'd wake up the next morning, and I would want to do nothing for the rest of the week, right? The longer that I rest, the longer that I don't do anything, the longer that I sleep, the less that I want to do things. And so that's kind of happened this morning. The more that I rested, the more that I didn't want to get back up, the more that I slept. But look at you. You got up. I got up. You're here, and that's something to celebrate. Because actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, and, and Dad might share this with me, but sometimes when I look out and, and to the congregation, I see a bunch of little miracles just simply because I know that they're breathing the breath of God. Right. So if you're physically breathing right now, you're breathing the breath of God, and I see that as a miracle that we sometimes take for granted. Now, please keep breathing during the service, because I, I want to save myself from all that trauma <laughs> if you just stop breathing. But not that when you leave, don't stop breathing then either. Like, don't just keep that mindset during here. Go and keep breathing after. Uh, but while you're here, please keep breathing. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 16, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light." And that is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be care very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father and gracious God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I just ask in this moment that you speak through me as you only know how. Lord, uh, Open up all of our hearts to receive your message. Lord, may we see that you are the light in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome. It will not overcome. And in the end, we are victorious if we are faithful and obedient to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So have you ever played Marco Polo or Pin the Tail on the Donkey? Right? Like most of us probably did as kids. If you still play as an adult, no judgment. I, I just, I don't. But um, typically as kids, we play uh, Marco Polo and Pin the Tail on the Donkey. And we all kind of know the premise of it, that they are similar in that we're not supposed to be able to see. Now, I know there's a lot of Christians in the room that have been following Christ longer than I have, but let's be honest, you peaked. At some point in your life, you were playing Marco Polo, and you opened your eyes a little bit because water got into it, yeah. Or your eye was itchy during Pin the Tail on the Donkey, and you kind of like lifted it up, and yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I see it because I did it, but you know, I, I know that you peaked. But how, how are they different? Well, typically, Marco Polo is played in a pool. Now, I've not known anyone to play it just in a room, but I'm not saying that's not possible. That's just, we, know, we always played it in the pool. It's like pin the tail on the donkey. That was played in a room. Most likely wasn't played in a swimming pool, but it's probably possible with something. Um, we just never did it that way. But really, uh, the differences between them is pin the tail on the donkey, you're typically blindfolded. Right? You have some type of rag or something, whatever, whatever they're called. You, you put them on, and it's so that you don't cheat. Right? You, you want to make sure that they don't open their eyes. And you have this blindfold on. Whereas in Marco Polo, it's kind of frowned upon uh, to blindfold someone in the pool so that you just kind of have their eyes shut. You, you make sure that they keep their eyes shut. And as little kids, we never follow that rule. Uh, but as we get older, we try to, and then we eventually just, you know, like, squint. All I had to do was smile really big because my eyes squint. Everyone thought my eyes were closed, and they weren't. So I, I was really good at Marco Polo. But with both of them, you have to use your other senses because we are so focused on our sight. Uh, we kind of take our sight for granted in that when we... When we, are, when we take that side away, we have to focus with our ears, uh, with our sense of touch. And so with uh, Pin the Tail on the Donkey, it's very prominent. You're, you're trying to hear where other people are, where you remember them standing, and, and you try to, to feel and, and touch where the tail is supposed to go. Marco Polo, you, you listen with your ears on the other people swimming around, uh, you cry out for Marco, you hope for Apollo uh, to come back, and you use that sound to guide you on where you're supposed to be. And the premise of that is to try and touch someone else, because that means that they become Polo, and you become one of the many Marcos in the pool. With Pin the Dale on the Donkey, it's whoever gets closest to where the tail is supposed to go. And that's who wins. And... I wonder, well, I know, but how much easier would those games be if our sense of sight wasn't obstructed, if we didn't, weren't forced to close our eyes, if we just played Marco Polo with our eyes open, or if we played pin the tail on the donkey with no blindfold? How, how much easier would those games be? You wouldn't have to worry about if you're tripping over something or if they spun you around with pin the tail on the donkey and pointed you the complete opposite direction, you, you would just be able to see and walk up and put it exactly where it's supposed to go. With Marco Polo, you could see your friend that you want to be in the middle and you go after them. 
Like you just chase after them. Don't worry about the rest of them. Just go after this person. It'd be so much easier. And it's because we take our eyesight for granted. And it's until we are placed in games and, and situations where we can't see that we really miss our eyesight. Like if you've ever been in a cave. Uh, we took a trip to, I think it was Marengo Cave. I'm looking at my parents for confirmation, and they're just staring at me. Was it Marengo Cave? Mammoth Cave. Marengo Cave was the school trip. Mammoth Cave. All right, so we went to Mammoth Cave, and they, they took you over like this bridge, over an abyss, if I'm remembering correctly. And the, the tour guide, I don't know if he was lying or not, but he said, we haven't found the bottom yet. And then we just kind of walked over it and, in hopes that we didn't fall through. And then shortly after that, if my memory serves me correctly, they turned off all the lights. And when they turned off all the lights, you couldn't see anything. You could hear the, the tour guide's voice. He would say, now put your hand in front of you. And I guarantee if the lights were on, all of us were going like this. I can't see my hand because we couldn't see anything. And so uh, when, in those situations, they, they have like a flashlight or, or a little match or something uh, that in any other situation would be very dim. It, it wouldn't really show up very well, but once they struck that match or they had that flashlight, whatever it was, it just lit up the entire room. And it was like you could see everything. And then they turned on all the lights and it, it was so much brighter in that moment. So in a physical sense, if we've been in any of those situations, we know what it's like to be in darkness versus the light. And in Matthew chapter 9, there's a story of two men who were blind. Now, I don't know if they were born blind or if they got blind throughout their life in some type of situation or not, but they've been blind for probably a while, and they've been living in the dark for a long time, if not their entire life. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, it says, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And so they followed him. Which means that the only way that they could have followed him, if they don't have this vision of sight, like they don't have the sense of sight, they had to have heard his voice and recognized his voice. And that also means that Jesus would have had to been speaking to them. Because if they were simply guided on the sound of footsteps, they could have very easily been strayed away because of the other people that were probably walking around at that time. But when they heard the voice of Jesus, either talking to his disciples, talking to another person, they started following the sound of his voice, and Jesus started guiding them by his voice into, uh, into the into inside. And it's almost like what John chapter 10, verse 4 talks about, where, where Jesus says, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so the followers of God, the one who, the, the sheep of God, know the sound of his voice. And so they were waiting and listening for the voice of the Lord, and when they heard it, they followed. And to be blind would be like walking around in a cave without any of the lights on. But since they knew the voice of Jesus, they followed the sound of his voice, and they were guided in that way. 
And as you continue on in verse 29, it says that he touched their eyes. And, accord, and he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the news about him all over that region. It was because of their faith. <laughs> you know, I'm not easily distracted. <laughs> right? It was because of their faith to follow Jesus. It was their faith that they couldn't see. Uh, someone that they might have only heard stories about. It was because of their faith that their sight was restored. And I, I strive to have this type of faith. I strive for you to have this type of faith. Jesus told them not to tell, not because he was scared of the Pharisees or, or scared to give himself credit. And there's a lot of different theories on why Jesus will do this in Scripture, while, why after a miracle he will often ask the person not to say anything. But I, I had this one explanation, and it really stuck with me. Jesus knew that his message of eternal salvation was far more important than the physical healing of a temporary world. And so I know that was a very dense sentence, but let me break it down for you a little bit for just a few moments. Jesus knew that it would be so much better to be blind here in this life and inherit the kingdom of God than to be able to see in this life on earth and go to hell. It would be so much better for them to know that they can be saved and they can inherit the kingdom of God than to heal all of their sickness, their brokenness, their, their disabilities, anything that they desire for, them to, for Jesus to come and heal that and not tell them about what he's coming to do. And so he, he wanted his message of eternal salvation to be far more important to the people than the physical healings that were happening. But the two men, couldn't, they, they couldn't help themselves. So they went into the towns and villages, and they proclaimed the name of Jesus and all that he'd done. He was the one that came and opened their eyes so that they could see again. How could you not tell someone about that miracle that just happened in your life? And as Jesus would heal their eyes, he would demonstrate that his death and resurrection on the cross at the end of his ministry here on earth would open the eyes of the lost to see that there's so much more to life than what they've been striving for. That there is so much more to life than just living here and dying, but there is an eternal destination and we want you all to go to heaven. What Jesus would do was he would take off the blindfolds of the people trying to walk through life so that they could see clearly the goodness, love, and mercy of God in their daily life. He came so that the lost, those with all the blindfolds, could see and experience that there is so much more to life than this game of life that we all play. If you look at how the world wants us to live our lives, you will find that they want us to walk in a straight line. They want you to complete school. And then they want you to go and get into a job. They want you to start your career. They want you to get married and have some kids. And then you, you have some grandkids maybe. And then you retire. And then you die. And you put that 
that tail where you think that you land, where you think that you deserve to be, and you hope that it's close enough to where you left a legacy. And this is the meaning of life for so many people. Get a job. Have a family. Uh, make sure that you have a good retirement savings plan. And then when you retire, you, you can do this thing and that thing, and you just walk in this straight line. And then at the end of your life, you, you put that tail on the wall, and you just hope that it's so close to someone that people remember what you did. They remember all the hard work that you accomplished. They remembered everything that you did so that you can leave a legacy for yourself and that you're not forgotten when you're putting down in the grave. You see, but what, what happens is when Christ takes off this blindfold, we start to realize it's not about the wall. It's not about pinning the tail on the donkey. It's about the one who rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. And I know that's cheesy. It's about the one who came and lived and died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. And what you start to do is you start to look around and you see this person has a blindfold on. This one has a blindfold on. All, all of my friends, my family, they have blindfolds on. I need to go and I need to take them off so that they can see what all that God has done for them. That He's forgiven their sins. That He can wipe away all of their shame and their regrets. That He can take their mess and make it into a message of hope and of love, and of healing. And so we want to go and take off all the blindfolds. This becomes our desire in our life to please God by taking off the blindfolds of our family and of our friends. And the saddest thing I see in the world today, or one of the saddest things I see in our world today, is people with their blindfolds off, living in the light, but keeping their eyes shut. Just like Marco Polo, this, they play this game of religion where they go and they follow whatever voice they hear and hope that it might be the voice of God. They, they hear voices all around them and they go and they reach and they hope that they can just touch the voice of God. They hope for this moment where they are filled spiritually, where they feel the presence of God. The thing is, they don't appear much different than the world because like the world, they too don't see. You know, when you keep your eyes closed long enough, you will eventually fall asleep. You can try this uh, in a physical sense. Don't try it spiritually. It's not worth it. But in a, in a physical sense, you can try it. It might take you a few hours. It might take you a while. But if you keep your eyes closed, closed long enough, you will eventually fall asleep. And what happens when you wake up after a long sleep, long night's sleep, or a very long nap? Well, just like me this morning, you don't want to get back up. You want to keep just sitting there. It takes a while to get up and moving again, and you just want to go back to sleep. And it's the same way with our spirit. When we are spiritually asleep, we are right where Satan wants us to be. I'll say it again because I think it's important. When we are spiritually asleep, we are right where Satan wants us to be. 
He wants our eyes to be closed because if we can see, we can go and find the lost. If we aren't asleep and we're spiritually awake, we're not going to be, we're, we're going to be obedient to God and that's the opposite of what Satan wants. He doesn't want us to be obedient to God. He wants us to just sit and, and fall asleep and, and be asleep so that we can't do any damage to what he is trying to destroy. And oftentimes what happens is we attend revivals, we go to Christian conferences, we experience a good service, we experience and we hear a good message about Jesus, we go and we listen on the radio and we hear a great song, and for a moment we are awake. We begin to wake up. And you've probably experienced this in your life. You, you go through a revival. You go through a conference, a Christian conference. You hear a couple good songs on the radio. And you start looking around. And you're like, I, I need to do something about all the blindness, all the blindfolds. And I need to go. And, and what happens? We, we get on fire for Christ. But Satan comes in and he says, wait, shh. It's okay. Just go back to sleep. It was nothing. It was just a, a moment. It was just a, a place in time for you to, to, to just feel a little bit good about yourself. It was nothing. Uh, you, feel, you feel that? You feel how tired you are? You know how long you've been working? You, you've been working such long hours. You've been doing all this stuff. You've been busy. You just you need to rest. You need to lay down and just fall back asleep. I, I know that you want to go and you want to read your Bible and you want to pray and you want to really start up your relationship with God, but you don't have time in your busy schedule to go read your Bible and pray. Surely God, who is so loving and so forgiving, will understand that you're just too busy for Him right now he, surely he knows that you plan the one day to come back to him and, and start re, revamping your relationship with him. But right now, you're just too busy in your life. And surely God, who that conference, who that pastor, who that song said is so good and loving and forgiving, would want you to go back to sleep. And so what do we do? We start going through the motions of life, back into our routine, back into this game of life, unmoved by the Word of God, and we fall back asleep. And where we were running around and trying to find the lost, we slowly got right back in line with the world. It's not that God doesn't want you to rest. In fact, He, he made a mandate calling it the Sabbath that you need to rest. You need to have physical rest. But he also said, come to me who are weary and burdened, weary and heavy laden, come to me and find rest. Meaning that the Sabbath was not just a physical rest, it was a spiritual rest and that you were connecting back to God. But so many people, they find this rest and they just fall back asleep. They fall asleep to their connection with God. They fall right back in line and where we are running around, Satan gets us right back where he wants us. But the dangerous game that we play is that when we are spiritually asleep, it looks like we're spiritually awake because our blindfolds are off. 
we still go to church, we still attend, and, and we're involved in ministries, we're going and we're doing this and we're doing that, and, and all of it's in the name of the Lord, but it's really for our own glory, for our own pride of just simply feeling good about ourselves, instead of giving Him glory, doing things not for yourself, but because it pleases Him. You see, God does, he does want us to rest, but he also tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, to be alert and of a sober mind. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Meaning that he is trying to find the ones that are slowly falling asleep and he's walking up and he's... Shh. It's okay. Go to sleep. You'll be fine. You'll wake up eventually. Just go to sleep. In Matthew chapter 9, it has several different miracles kind of scattered throughout. And I think they all have their own importance when you look at the order of how it happens and what actually happens in those miracles. The chapter starts off with a miracle of a paralyzed man being brought to Jesus. Jesus heals him, and the man takes up his mat, and he walks, and the Pharisees become upset with it. Next thing you see, the next miracle that you find when you look through Matthew chapter 9, is a woman comes to Jesus and has the faith that if I can only touch the end of the cloak of Jesus' garment, I will be healed in my curse of of bleeding that I've dealt with for 12 years will be gone. And so because of her faith, she, she crawls up and she touches just the end of the garment. And, and in that moment, Jesus heals her. Later on in the book of, uh, or in chapter 9, the synagogue leader tells Jesus that his daughter was dead and he believed that if Jesus came and put his hands on his daughter, then she would come back to life. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue leader's home. He says, wait, hold on. She's not dead. She's just asleep. So he places his hand on her and awakes her from her death sleep. Right after that, two blind men follow him and their eyes are restored that they can start to see again. Shortly after that, Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man who is unable to speak. So Jesus casts out the demon and restores his vocal cords so that he could speak again. And the darkness was removed. And again, the Pharisees complain about it. From the first miracle to the last in chapter 9, the Pharisees show up and are upset with Jesus for healing. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus continues into the towns and the villages preaching, teaching, and healing after dealing with the Pharisees on two different accounts. And in verse 36, Matthew writes this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few.
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here today, we, we kind of know what the workers are few, and we, we get that with the shortage and, and all the shortages. If you, if you just speak, there's going to be a shortage, shortage in this. It's going to happen. It's what it seems like today. But in their time, there was no shortage of Pharisees, of Israelites, of religious leaders. There's no shortage of any of them. And unlike the paralyzed man, Israel was able to walk and tell the world of who God was, but they chose to be unmoved as if they were paralyzed. Unlike the woman who had been dealing with pain for 12 years, Israel had pain but had no faith that God would actually heal them. Unlike the daughter who was woken up from her death sleep, Israel was awake and chose to fall asleep. Unlike the demon-possessed man who was mute, Israel was filled with God and was able to speak of his wonders and of his mercy and of his grace and the miracles that he does and how he takes care of all of them. But they chose to keep silent and be filled with darkness as if they were mute and demon-possessed. And in response to seeing this, all of the, the so-called faithful servants of God not doing what they have been called to do. Jesus says the harvest is plenty and the workers are few because his servants, his people, fell asleep. Listen, I prayed not only that this revival would wake you up for the ones who are sleeping, that it would wake you up and that it would keep you awake that you wouldn't be so focused on just waking up for a moment and then allowing Satan to come back in and, and help you fall back asleep, fall back into your comfort, fall back into your ways of life and your routines of life. But instead, God would come in, he would wake you up and disrupt your life in such a way that you cannot fall back asleep. I want to urge you today, don't fall asleep on what God is calling you to do. Instead, walk towards him. Don't be lazy and apathetic in your faith, but instead, wake up out of your slumber and do the work that God has called you to do. Don't be blinded by the darkness in the world. Instead, open your eyes to the harvest of the lost in need of being found, the sheep in need of a shepherd. Don't fall into the temptation to be silent, but instead, speak loudly the name of Jesus. And as it is said in Ephesians chapter 5, is what we, uh, which what we read at the beginning. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, of righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't just look at the darkness and be scared of the darkness, but instead grab the darkness and drag it into the light. That's the only way that you can overcome the darkness in your life is to drag it into the light to be exposed. And what happens when our darkness is exposed? Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. 
Listen, if you didn't see that when Teen Challenge came and they did their testimonies, they lived in darkness, they drugged their darkness into the light, and now their darkness has become the light of their testimony. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Make most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Go and make every opportunity to work hard for the harvest that is in our world right now. There's a lot of darkness, and what Satan will try to do is try to convince you that the darkness is winning, that the darkness has overcome the light. But I'm here to tell you today that the light will overcome, has overcome, and has always overcome the darkness. And there is work for the harvest in the field to go and take off the blindfolds, for people to go and, to, and wake other people up who have fallen in their faith, uh, who have fallen asleep in their faith and their relationship with God. There's a harvest in the field of the place, of the job, of the family, of the friends that you have been placed around. And if you are asleep in your faith, you won't see them as blindfolded. You won't see them as asleep because you yourself won't be able to see. And so I encourage you today to go harvest. The harvest is ripe for picking. And so go and harvest the lost. Go and reach the lost. Go and preach the gospel. Go and, and expose your darkness to shine as the brightest light of your own personal testimony. Make most of every opportunity because the days that we live in are very, very evil and dark. But the light will always shine through. Heavenly Father and gracious God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to, to just speak your word. Lord, it is so amazing that you called someone like me to, to be able to do this. And Lord, I just ask that in this moment, you would just wake us up. Wake us up to whatever we've been sleeping on. Wake us up out of our slumber of not being connected with you, making excuses on why we can't pray, why we can't study your word, why we can't meditate on your word, why we can't do this, and why we can't do this ministry, and why we can't be as involved as we would like to be. But Lord, help us not be so busy, so tired, so weary, that we fall into the trap of Satan trying to get us right back asleep. Lord, we know that the greatest threat to the enemy is the sleeper who wakes back up because it's when the sleep awake, the lost are found, the people are obedient, the communities are transformed, that the counties are transformed the states are transformed. The countries are transformed. The worlds are transformed by the goodness of your love and your mercy and your grace. They are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Lord, may us, gathered in this room, gathered on our online campus, may we be the people that say we're not going to be the majority that aren't working. Lord, let us be the few. Let us be the few that that decided today in our life we are going to go and reach the lost. We're going to stay awake to the spiritual war that we are in so that we can go and reach the lost. So that we can go and we can please you in every area of our life. Lord, we understand that there's not always going to be light in our life, that sometimes we'll have to walk through some very dark valleys and some very dark caves. But Lord, let us not fall asleep in those moments, but instead be attentive to the sound of your voice to guide us through the dark valleys, to guide us through the dark times in our life, the caves that we encounter. Lord, help us see you in every situation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.